Are you looking for inspiration on a daily basis? Well, check out Deal to Heal Teas. With our inspirational teas, you're sure to find something that will inspire you. Just go to dealtoheelteas.myshopify.com. That's Deal to Heal Teas. Get some inspiration in your situation. Wear inspirational tea and be inspired all day. That's Deal to Heal Teas at dealtoheelteas.myshopify.com. Hey guys, this is Ernest James, host of the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. And I got a question to ask you. Could you buy me a cheeseburger? Better yet, could you buy me a value meal? Yes? Well, guess what? I don't need a value meal. However, for the cost of a value meal, you can support this podcast to keep us on the air. Just go to Patreon slash Deal to Heal podcast and choose any one of the three tiers that's available. And if you just want to make a one-time donation, go to Cash App and make a donation to dollar sign E. James, the number 418. Make a one-time donation to the Cash App or, again, go to Patreon to support this podcast and keep us on the air. Thanks in advance. Be blessed. Welcome to Heal to Heal with E. James Podcast. On this podcast, my guest and I will discuss topics and ways to help us to heal in every area of our lives. I believe that everyone can live a life that is happy, healthy, and whole. So I'm on a mission to help people to deal, heal, and fulfill. Deal with your problem, heal from the pain, and fulfill your purpose. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. I'm your host, Ernest James, and I believe that everyone can live a life that is whole, healed, and healthy. And therefore, I'm on a mission to help people to deal, heal, and fulfill, to deal with your problems, to heal from the pain, and to fulfill your purpose. Welcome again to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. If you haven't already, please listen, like, subscribe, and share uh, to our platform on all your social media platforms, uh, definitely our YouTube page. We definitely want to get those numbers up. Um, also follow us on Facebook where we can uh, interact with you more directly on a day-to-day basis so you can uh, keep in tune of what's going on, what we have coming up, uh, events, uh, webinars, um, all kinds of things. So definitely want to follow us on our YouTube, on our Facebook page, as well as our YouTube page. And also follow us on your uh, audio uh, podcast distributors, whichever you know thing that you want to listen to us on. So, guys, also, uh, I'm going to tell you guys how you can win a hundred dollars from the podcast. It don't cost you anything, but you got to stay to the end in order to get that information. So, again, thank you guys for tuning in to the Deal to Heal with E James podcast. And today, just like any other day, we are blessed with a guest, Miss Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am great. I am great. Uh, first of all, let me say thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast because you could have been doing anything else, but you're here with me and my listeners, and I don't want you to know I definitely appreciate it. Well, 
It's funny you say that because I'm actually here. I'm not at home. I'm in San Antonio at a legal conference, but um, I'm excited to be here. I've been excited to talk to you since I saw your page. So I'm excited for today. All right. All right. That makes it even special because that means you actually took time out to oh, do yeah. your, from your schedule. And I definitely appreciate it. So I uh, don't want to hold up too much of your time. So let's jump right into it. Miss Sarah, uh, tell my listeners who you are and what it is that you do. So my name is Sarah Vargas. Um, I'm an attorney here in the state of Texas. I practice family law and criminal defense, but primarily family law, like 95% family law. Um, and I'm actually just, you know, right now on a journey uh, of finding my dad and healing from those kind of pains of him being absent and being alienated from him. And so part of that journey, God put it on my heart to share it with other people and hopefully other people can learn from it and or, you know, relate to it as well and understand that they're not alone in what they're going through. So, yeah, that's all right. Me. All right. So, Sarah, I, I came across your page uh, some time ago. Um, and I, I seen it, I seen your story. I was very interested in it. Um, and I know I told you, you know, before we started recording that I actually purposely stopped following <laughs> just so I could get, you know, the whole details and, and really be, uh, open to having, you know, hearing your story directly yeah. from you, um, after you, uh, agreed to be a uh, guest on the podcast. So I'm very happy uh, that you're here. I'm very happy to be able to to hear your story. So let's let's kind of go back to the beginning of uh, as far as far back as you want to go to where this journey actually started at. And I know, you know, as far as you started uh, sharing your story on social media, probably was a couple years ago, but definitely the background of the story definitely started before then so oh, yeah. <laughs> that you uh want to share yeah. you know just take us back a little bit of you know who you are and, and who were you before you started the journey and even what even prompted you to to go on this journey yeah so i mean just for context i'm 27 now and i would say that the first like strong memory i have on this journey was when uh, I was turning eight. It was my eighth birthday. But even before then, it probably was about first first grade, maybe even kindergarten when I started to actually realize and remember asking a lot of questions. And I think um, part of that was because I was starting to see other kids with their dads or dads coming to pick up kids or we would have the, the donut with dad days and my grandpa would show up or something like that. And so that kind of was the first start for me on this journey of starting to ask questions like well why isn't my dad here like who is my dad what happened for him to not be here and then um i think just kind of as i got older and closer to my eighth birthday i just started being persistent with my mom like i don't want nothing else for my eighth birthday i told her i don't want any gifts i don't want any barbies i don't want anything i just want to talk to my dad and um at that time she told me that uh she got in contact with his agent in Brazil and then, you know, she came down, handed me the phone and he's like on the phone. Um, and that was my first memory of, you know, ever talking to him, ever hearing his voice, ever, you know, getting to know him at all. And I just remember like the one thing I remember the most from that conversation is being like, what is your favorite cereal? Because I was eight years old, like <laughs> cereal was important to me. So I was like, what is it? And he said Cheerios. And 
So after we got off the phone, I was like, mom, we got to go to the store right now. We're going to send my dad some Cheerios. Like he's in Brazil. We got to help him out. Like all this stuff, like, you know, just my eight year old brain was not really comprehending, but I was really excited after that conversation to, you know, continue building a relationship with him, but that didn't really happen. Um, I kind of share on my page some of the things that, you know, it seemed as if my mom was getting frustrated because we would call, you know, this is like early 2000s. So there wasn't like international calling plans. Like you got to get a call card and pay for a dollar every minute. So it was, you know, it was expensive. But at the time, I could understand why she was frustrated because it seemed as if she was reaching out and she was trying and it wasn't being reciprocated. Um, So that was kind of a bummer for me. And then you fast forward to 2007, and that's when I met my older sister, Jennifer, um, on my dad's side. So she's the oldest. Uh, I won't say her age because she'll get mad, but (laughs) she's a little bit older than me. And so I met her because she ended up playing college basketball at Morgan State. And my mom was just, you know, Googling her because she knew her from whenever she was with my dad. Um, and we found her playing basketball at Morgan State. We reached out and, you know, just a few months later, she was on a plane and I, I'll never forget like meeting her. And finally, that's like the first time I'm getting somebody that's connected to my dad, but also connected to me. Because, you know, my dad was a basketball player, so we would go places and people would know who he is. But I'm like, but you don't know him, know him. Like, I want to mm-hmm. know him, know him. Right, right. So, I started, you know, and it was good having my sister because I finally had somebody to talk about what it was I was feeling and experiencing and like how I truly felt and actually be understood, not just listened to. Like she could understand and relate and, you know, give me advice. And, you know, I I didn't even have to say what it was I was feeling because she already knew. So that was good to have her. But then at the same time, you know, she went through the same things that I did, you know, our dad ended up being absent after she was, you know, 10 years old. So for that, for her, you know, it's a little bit of a different journey, but you know, she, she could still relate a lot to what I was going through. Um, And then I guess you kind of fast forward again, I'm trying to give the summed up version, but it's a long story. (laughs) You fast forward again to, to me going to college. So I actually went to college at Hardin Simmons University. It's a small town in Texas, Abilene, Texas. Like, think West Texas, tumbleweeds, small city, one skyscraper. That's where I was at. And it was, um, it was crazy because the reason I went to that school was because I was just, me and my mom were not getting along and I wanted to go as far away as physically possible and all the other scholarship offers I had to play basketball were in Oklahoma and I was like this is too close this is driving distance like I need a flight um and so I ended up going to to Abilene Texas which at the time was about like six and a half hours away and um it was my freshman year I was getting goosebumps telling this story because it's just it's so crazy but it was my freshman year and uh, I was playing basketball and the men's team was having like a boot camp um, during preseason. And the way our gym was set up is like, you had the first floor with like the gym and then you had the stands and stadium and then you had an upper level where you could watch. And so I was on the upper level looking down and I'm like, who are all these other older guys down there? I was like, they they look like basketball players, but they're not like, they look retired. Like what's Mm -hmm. going on here? 
And one of my teammates was like, oh, that's the coach's old players from LSU. And I was like, that's weird. My dad played basketball at LSU. And so I go downstairs and the coach comes out and he's like, Vargas, come over here. And I'm like, what's up? Because I had a bad attitude. He was like, is your dad Jose Vargas? And I was like, who's asking? And he was like, well, I recruited him to play back at LSU in the 80s. And I was like, what? He was like, how is he doing? I was like, well, you tell me. And so at that point, he kind of realized there's something going on here, but he knew my dad, so he wanted to figure it out. So he took me back into his office, and I explained to him, like, I don't know him. Last time I talked to him, I was eight years old. I have no idea where he's at, what he's doing, if he's alive. I don't know. And so uh, about two days later, he pulled me back into his office and got Coach Del Brown from LSU on the phone, and that was my dad's head coach. And he was talking to me, trying to figure out what was going on. He's like, I have your dad's phone number. I'm going to call him. And I was like, okay. And then about two weeks later, I had, you know, an email from my dad. And, you know, ever since then, we've been in contact. So that was about 10 years ago now. <laughs> I feel like mm-hmm. I'm dating myself. But, and I mean, I feel like that was, that was almost the beginning of the story in a way, because just us being in contact alone wasn't enough because there was so much we right. had to talk about, we had to go through, and he lives in Brazil. It wasn't like I can just up and go see you. Like I'm a broke college student at the time. Um, so I was just, you know, it was that these last 10 years in and of itself has been its own journey of, you know, we have to communicate. I say, I want to have a relationship with my dad. He says he wants to have a relationship with me, but you know, we need to get down to some of the nitty gritty. And he, you know, I think out of just respect for my mom, didn't want to tell me things over the phone. And that would make me so mad because I was like, how else are we supposed to communicate? Like, you have to tell me this stuff. And I mean, it really wasn't until I went to Brazil that he told me his whole side of the story. I was learning a lot of things um, that I previously didn't know. But yeah, that's the story. Okay, okay. So let's, let's go back a little bit. Um, when you first told your mom that you wanted to, you know, hear from your dad, you know, you wanted to talk to your dad, um, during that, first of all, her initial reaction, you know, and her initial response, was she, uh, receptive or, uh, supportive, you know, from the very start or was it some hesitation on her part? I think there was some hesitation, like at this point, you know, she had already told me, like, her version of the story, like, you know, he's not around, you know, kind of talking negative about him, but when, I think when she saw how persistent I was, because, I mean, you can ask anybody who was around me as a child, and they're going to say Sarah was stubborn, I, and I'm probably still that way now, if you think about it, but I, like, was relentless, and, like, me, wanting that and so I think it almost was more so like she just wanted me to stop asking so finally she was like okay if she's asking this much you know maybe we need to work something out but I think even after I talked with him and I think I talked about this in one of my videos was like after I talked with him and you know he wasn't calling back or we he wasn't picking up when we would call seeing the frustration that she had and seeing how she was reacting to him not picking up or like the things that she was saying, 
it was so negative and it was almost hurtful to me because I was like, well, if you're talking that way about him, like that's my dad. So are you talking that way about me too? Like, I don't know. I mean, like granted, this is my only phone call with this man, but you know, it's those, those things that start to get in your head. Like if you think that about him, what do you think about me? Because I'm half him, whether you like it or not. Like I didn't make that decision. So I think, and and I'm glad that you said that because that is something that I often say. Um, but it's, it, it's different that now someone who's actually in that position can say, yeah, this is actually how I felt. Because yeah. that is definitely something that I, I talk to when I talk to people about, you know, especially that part of it, talking negatively about the other parent. I'm like, this is how your child hears, hears that, you know. Yeah. But it was from my own, own you know, point of view. So right. it's definitely uh, encouraging to me, you know, to hear you say that because like, okay, I was right, you know. Yeah, no, but, and you're, yeah. you're definitely right, but it's also like, if we're bringing this all the way full circle now, like with me being a family law attorney in Texas, that's like a standard injunction during divorces or, you know, suit affecting parent-child relationships is you cannot talk negatively about the other parent or the other parent's family in the presence or within the hearing of the child. And there's a reason for that. It's because of the psychological effect it has on your kid. Like, and we, I tell people, you know, we want to keep the peace, but you got to, you got to help your kids along the way too. So. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and and so I was thinking about it. And so the reason why I asked you that, because just as a parent, you know, I'm, I have one biological child, mm-hmm. which is my daughter. My daughter's 19 now. Um, oh, and so having um, divorced and separated, my daughter actually lives in Texas. Um, okay. I'm in, in the Chicagoland area. So I, was very uh, adamant about, okay, you know, definitely keeping the peace, you know, yeah. between, between us or whatever. So I, I, I can't speak on what her mother said or didn't do because I wasn't around. Yeah. Um, but I definitely made it a fact and a point never to say anything bad about her mom, no matter what, you know, yeah. uh, even when, you know, there have been times during conversation with my daughters, like, well, mom said this, you know, yeah. you know as far as you or whatever. And I'm like, if that's how she feels, that's how she feels, you know, or whatever, you know. So it was never a, a comeback, you know, a negative comeback. But I, I think from I try I try to see it from the other side also, you know, and, and not necessarily about the, the negative speaking, but even why where in the point where your mom may have been somewhat hesitant, because again, you're eight years old, so yeah. you know. Let's just say around about eight years had passed, you know, and so it's like, okay, do I open this door? You know what I'm saying? And I don't know how it's going to be received. You know what I'm saying? And not so much from how it's going to be received from her, but how it's going to be received from you, you know? Okay. Is it going to open up this door of, you know, expectation only to let my child down, you know? And so I, I try to make sure that, you know, I look at it from both ways and, and that's why I act. So I, I'm glad she was able to at least take that first step and, and to make that phone call. But then I can imagine, even like you said, after that phone call, it was uh, some time period, you know, yeah. before things really progressed. And so, you know, as a mother, you're kind of feeling like that's what I didn't want to happen. You know, right. the you know, now this expectations been open and, you know, the stories have been shared or just the the hope that's been given to my child 
that now seems like it's not going to, you know, it's not going to follow through. So I, yeah. I definitely try to look at it from, from both spaces. Um, so when you were actually able to, to talk to your dad uh, a little bit, you know, I always say, you know, no answer is going to be, uh, there's no answer that's going to make it right. Right. There's no answer that's going to make your child be like, oh, okay, now I understand. Cool. You know what I mean? Because especially in, in, in this time, and in, in this, I mean, I know this was a couple of years ago, um, but still, I, I still believe that there are ways of doing things. Yeah. And, and so there is no answer that he could give that's going to make it like, oh, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? And, and even I take that with myself. You know, yeah. even I was I was in my daughter's life, but even the to the point of okay, yeah, you was you you was here for a time, but why I can't get more time? You right. Know what I'm you know things like that. So it's never really an answer that's going to make her be like, oh, okay, I get it. You know what I mean? Especially from a child's point of view, because it's like, look, all I care about is you being around, and you're right. not. You know, right. so having, I'm sure that question came up. Because that's always a, a question that the child wants to know. So, was your dad able to um, answer it, at least in a way that made you comfortable? Yes and no. So, there's parts of the story that I'm gonna keep under wraps, just mm -hmm. because you know, at the end of the day, these are my parents, and especially my mom, like. You know, I, I don't talk to my mom now. And the reason for that is just, you know, right now in my life and the kind of the things that have happened, I'm not at a place where I can keep emotionally checked and still be around you and have that. So it's kind of like I just got to love you from a distance and, mm -hmm. you know, you're my mom, but I got to take that take that out. But but with my dad and answering that question, there was so much going on, but it's also you got to understand too, is like throughout my life, I've had people giving me little pieces, little like, oh, well, this is what I was told to happen. This is what I was told to happen. And so I started putting little pieces together. And you also got to remember, I'm an attorney. So at the end of the day, I'm going to go look, I'm going to go find the records. I'm going to go see what actually happened. I'm going to go see what's been filed, who responded when, who had what attorney, where, everything. So it wasn't just what my dad told me, it was what court records and documents have said has happened. So for me, when, by the time I had talked to my dad in college, I had already had this halfway story that was making sense. And with my experiences with my mom, I was like, okay, this kind of sounds like this is what happened. Um, yeah. And I think, you know what I mean by that. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of like, I just wanted him to tell me, like, just tell me from you, because I'm tired of hearing it from other people. But I, I feel like I understand what you're going to tell me. Uh, and so it honestly, like, he kind of told me parts every now and then. And then he would just, my dad's like the type of person that like, when it's something that he don't want to talk about, he's just going to start talking on a whole nother topic and keep going until, <laughs> until you get off of it. Right. Right. But, you know, when I got to Brazil, we so it was about a seven hour drive from the um, airport to where he lives. And we stopped at this restaurant and it was me, my sister and one of my brothers there, one of my older brothers. 
or older, younger brothers, I should say. Um, and he just, he told us everything, you know, from when he got to the States to, you know, what influenced him, what, who changed and molded him as a man, you know, when he got into the NBA, what it was like when he met my sister's mom, when he met my mom, you know, what was going on, the things that happened, why he made the decision that he ultimately ended up making. And I could see still to this day how much that like hurts him. And for me, I had already understood way before that conversation what happened and why he made the decision he did because of, you know, the things I, I had went and got myself, you know, court records and stuff. So I already understood it. And also with knowing my mom, I understood it that way as well. Um, but when he said it, it was a relief for me because it was almost a release for him. Like, I feel like he was finally releasing it from like holding him down or like, you know, being shackled. And I feel like that was kind of for both of us, like just get it out there. Let's move forward. Like this is our past, but we both understand like what we need to do moving forward to make sure like that doesn't happen anywhere down our line again. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it comforting. No. Do I accept mm -hmm. it? Yes. Like the facts are not comforting at all. <laughs> I definitely understand it. Yeah, and and that's why I, I again I, I always say there's there's no there's never going to be an acceptable answer. Yeah. Right? So one of the things that I do is I'm a, a fatherless daughter advocate. Yeah. You know, and so I speak to fatherless daughters uh, generally in an adult stage, not so much when they're younger. Um, and so even with talking to them. So there's a statistic that says most fatherless children, both male and female, will have fatherless children, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so in talking to the, the fatherless daughters, you know, I'm like, listen, you you got to kind of at some point you got to stop it, you know. And so one of the questions I always ask them is, you know, so you're a fatherless daughter. So how many generations before you? You know, and usually it's like the mom, the grandmom, sometimes even the great grandmother, you know. And so after having them think about that, you know, my next question is how many generations is going to come after you? Yeah. You know, and so getting them to start thinking about that, like, is this going to be your daughter? You know, mm -hmm. if you already have a daughter, is that already her reality? You know, and then is that going to be your granddaughter's reality? You yeah. know. Or are you going to start, you know, making choices, deliberate, intentional choices to yeah. start mending those those bridges or whatever for your child? Not necessarily for you, because a lot of times there is bad your blood between the, yeah. And so yeah. a lot of times there's bad blood between the parents. Yeah. You know? But again, like you said, you have to take yourself out of it yeah. you know, for the well-being of your child. Like, look, I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this for you because I don't even like you. However, <laughs> but I, I should child. love this child. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We yeah. have this child, and one day this child will have children, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we want to start ending this, you know, ending this cycle. Um, and so that's definitely one of the things I, I talk about. Like, look, we you gotta you gotta start somewhere, you yeah. know, and why not start it with you? Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, so let's let's switch it up a little bit. So you talked about um 
You talked about your mom. You talked about your dad. You talked a little bit about your sister, but you also mentioned that you had other siblings. So yes. how was that just, first of all, how many siblings do you have? And then how was that, you know, that experience with your sister, but also with your other siblings? And how was that going? Yeah, so on my mom's side, I have two brothers. Um, and then on my dad's side, I have my older sister and then four younger brothers. Um, so two of them are older in their 20s. And then the other two are younger, 11 and two and a half, almost three now. So, um, I mean, me and my sister, like, we've been like this. So, you know, her, I talk about it in one of my videos, but her and my mom kind of got into a little bit of a tiff, um, you know, when I was in late, later in high school, I think probably around my sophomore or junior year of high school. Um, so with my mom being the only person that could really facilitate that relationship with her, as far as her actually coming to see me, um, that kind of stopped for a second. But when I went to college, I was like, I'm gonna do what I want. Like, I'm sorry. So I finally got to, you know, facilitate my own relationship with her and rebuild that. And it's been it's been great. I mean, obviously, we have our our sister moments where we have little tips or whatever, but she'll get over it eventually. And, you know, she can only hate me for so long. So, you know, that's that's how it is with her. It's great. But, you know, with my brothers, it's interesting because me and my sister both speak English. My sister also speaks Spanish. My dad's from the Dominican Republic and my sister was born there. So they speak Spanish. But my dad also speaks six other languages, including Portuguese in Brazil. And that's the language that my brothers speak. So when we finally all got together, we're trying to speak this mixed language <laughs> of Spanish, Portuguese and English. And we made it work. Like I was really nervous about it at first. Like I'm not how am I even going to communicate with them? But my oldest younger brother, Junior, he's. He's learning English. He speaks really good English. My uh, second oldest younger brother, Junior or Jason, he's practicing his English, but he also talks some of my grandma in Spanish all the time. So it was like I was kind of talking to him in Spanish, talking to Junior in English. Uh, then the younger two, they're both learning English, so I could kind of talk to them and they would understand. Or if anything, my dad was there and he would just translate in all three <laughs> languages, and we made it work. So um, it's been great. Like we have, you know, we have our own little uh, hermanos group chat now. Like, you know, we keep it going. And we've all, you know, we've all had that serious conversation too. Like you were talking about before, like how many more generations is this going to happen to? And we've all been like, this stops here. We don't care what happens after. And it's, it's interesting because even though we have different experiences, we understand on all sides, kind of what it is that we have to do. So that's why, like, I'm so adamant now, but like, I'm going to Brazil. This is when I'm going to be gone. Don't schedule me for anything. Like, I have to go and see them and like, you know, stay in constant communication because it's so important that it, it stops, you know, with us. So yeah, it's been great. I love it. How often do you make that, that trip to go down there? So my first trip was actually in February. That's the first time I've ever been there. And this then, year? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so that's when I started the podcast was right before I went on or not the podcast, the, the Instagram page was right before I went on the trip. And then I'm going back in September um, through the second week in October. So, yeah. Sweet, sweet, yeah. sweet. So let, let's let's uh, 
we're gonna take another turn. Okay. Right? So because you are a attorney that mm -hmm. deals with family law. Um, so first, my first question was, was your personal experience one of the reasons that you got into family law or did it just turn out that way? It actually turned out that way. So all through undergrad, um, I wanted to be a prosecutor. And then I got to law school and I did an internship and I kind of got to see behind the scenes, you could say. And I was like, yeah, there's no way. There's absolutely no way because my mouth cannot be controlled sometimes. <laughs> and if I say no, that's the end of it. Like, and, you know, just seeing kind of like some of the deals that they were making. And for me, you know, I went into an undergrad, I went into it thinking like, oh, I'm going to be the prosecutor and I'm going to make change. I'm going to, you know, make sure that we're having fair, fair sentences and all these things. But then you can be that prosecutor all day long, but the, at the end of the day, you're not the elected official. So somebody's above you. And when they say yes, you know, you have to follow that. And I was like, that's not for me. So then I switched in law school to wanting to do criminal defense. And so that's where I got the internship in law school with the boss, the boss I have now at the NOG law firm. And um, I started off as a criminal defense intern, but then he also has a family law practice. And so the family law side, they needed help, you know, with drafting and, and things like that. And the criminal side, there's not so much drafting. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm in a family law drafting class right now just to fill my schedule. You know, I know how to do these. I have the forms. Why not? So I start, you know, getting into it. And like one of the very first cases I had as an intern involved, like Indian Child Welfare Act, which most people don't even know exists, but it's essentially saying CPS has a higher burden whenever there's an Indian child or a Native American child involved um in the case because of there's a whole federal background but i won't go into i won't go into that so then i was like you know this is kind of interesting legally i kind of like that aspect and then um i had another case involving grandparent access and grandparent rights and i was like this is interesting as well i like this um and so it kind of just kept evolving into me getting deeper and deeper into it and now looking back i was actually just talking about this with a lawyer um this morning was I feel like this is, it was kind of put on me because this is where I was supposed to be because mm -hmm. I had a, a trial for a criminal case that I had. And I truly believed that my guy was innocent. Like, I didn't doubt him for a second. And going into that trial, I was so nervous. Like, <laughs> I didn't sleep for that whole week. And I was just like, you know, thank God we got a mistrial on it. But it was just kind of like, you know, is that actually for me? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing if, I, if I'm not feeling that comfortable doing it? And then, you know, with the family law stuff, it's not that way. And I feel like there's times where I can talk to my clients and be like, you know, I've told my clients my story sometimes and just be like, hey, look, we, we don't have to do all this. And I feel like when I talk to them, they listen to me because they understand I'm not coming from a point of like, I'm your attorney, I'm above you. Like, I'm trying to help you mend your family. So, Hopefully your kids don't have to go through what I went through. Or if you can relate with me as far as what I went through with my dad, you know, let's do better. And so they understand I, I'm actually, you know, trying to help them and their family. So I think, you know, as far as family law, I think it just kind of fell on me. It wasn't anything that I ever in a million years thought I would be doing. But it definitely gives me, you know, that sense of, of justice. And sometimes, you know, even now I have cases and I feel like, you know, I feel fulfilled because I feel like I advocated the way that my dad needed to be advocated for 
back in, you know, the 90s. So it's good. It's good. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'm listening. I'm just listening to you. And I definitely agree. Like, that's where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And I'm, I'm listening to you talk. And, and I know I, before we started recording, I had asked you about, you know, had you start writing a book or whatever? Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I definitely would encourage you to do that, you know, because just, just because of the dynamics of your story, you know, mm-hmm. because oftentimes we hear about, you know, uh, the story about the broken family. And so it's, it's a, it's a story that's often heard, but now with, with you to be able to not only have that story, but like you said, to be able to share that story with parents that's in the midst of it, yeah. you know, from a from a legal standpoint, but then also from a personal standpoint to be able yeah. to say, look, this is really what you're doing to your child. Yeah. You know? And to, to be able to open up their eyes. And, and I think that, you know, which is one of the reasons I had you on, because I'm like, this story needs to be told. You know, these truths need to be told, you know, and, and we need to be able to hear it from the child, you yeah. know, that, hey, this is this affects us just as much as it affects you, even more so. Because yeah. as an adult, you can make whatever decisions you want to make and move how you want to move. And because it's your decision, you're justified in that. But yeah. as a child, you're just the collateral damage of those decisions. Exactly. You, know, you don't get to say yay. You don't get to say no. You know, you just in the middle you know, with your own wants, your own desires, your own dreams of what you want family to be for you. And it's unfortunate that when you don't have a, a voice, you know, you're at the mercy of, of both parents. Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, and if I can just really quickly on that point, I think it's interesting when we're talking about, you know, the kid's voice, because so often in my family cases, you know, here in Texas, if they're 12 and you ask for it, the judge has to to listen to them as far as they want. Now, what people get misinterpreted a lot is what the kid says is going to be final. And that's absolutely false. It is a factor. It is a consideration point that the judge takes into consideration in the final decision. But it's not the end all be all. And so I have so many cases where people have this newly 12 year old child who's been pushed and pulled both ways because both parents are trying to convince them what they want them to say to the judge. And judges know, I'm here to tell y'all right now, judges know when your kid has been coached. They know they've been doing it long enough. They know when your child has been coached. And if you find if it's found that you're coaching your child that much, it may go the exact opposite way mm-hmm. of what you think. But it also, in my opinion, it thwarts their thinking process about what they actually want. Because if we're thinking about, you know, at least for me, I'll talk personally, for me saying what I wanted for a family, that didn't start until recently because my solution as a 16, 17, 18, you know, probably up to 20, you know, was just don't have kids. Then you don't have family, then you don't have to deal with it. But that's not really the solution. Because we have to figure out how we're going to fix what is in what our mindset is and why we think that way and heal all these traumas that we've been through as far as being either alienated or pushed and pulled to then figure out what it is, what you want for your family. And sometimes it's hard because you have never had an example of what it is that you want. And, you know, I'm so grateful for me growing up. I have had so many great friends in my life and 
you know, in in Memphis, I, I call them my nana and papa and my mama and my sister because they might as well be because they take me in as if I'm their own child, no questions asked, like hands down. And that's the family I want. And I got to see an example of that. But there's so many people like you're talking about that, you know, how many generations does this have to continue where they have not seen that example of a family? That's all they know in their family mm -hmm. is the brokenness. They haven't seen what it can be. So they don't know what it is that they're wanting. So they're just mirroring what they've seen. So I think it kind of goes both ways. It's not even, you know, what the child wants. It's the child doesn't even have an opportunity to figure out what it is they want for mm -hmm. themselves. So that's my soapbox. Yeah. yeah, no, and, and, I, and I agree with you uh, 100%. And that's why I was kind of going that way. Because like you said, uh, uh, the child is at the mercy of the parents, you know, and they only know what they've been exposed to, you know, yeah. and, and sometimes with the trauma that the parents have lived through and sometimes still living through in the yeah. midst of trying to raise this child. Now this child is going through other, you know, mm -hmm. traumas outside of just the, the brokenness of the family. But then we're going through, you know, sometimes poverty, sometimes, you know, broken relationships, um, you know, new people coming in and yeah. in and out, you know, all of these traumas um, that's are making an impression on the child as they get older. And again, when they start thinking about what do I want as a family and what does family really mean to me, they can only draw off the experiences that they had, you know, yeah. and then sometimes like yourself, it's like, yeah, all of that. No, I don't, I don't yeah. want no parts of it. <laughs> Y'all can keep that over there. <laughs> right. Right. And so that's why I'm, I'm adamant about, you know, uh, even with the, the fatherless daughters that I talked to, like, you have to look out for if, if, if there's no mending with the father, you know, mm -hmm. it's still your responsible responsibility to make sure that your child has a positive father figure in their life yes. to Absolutely. still be able to instill those values um, that they should be receiving from their father that for whatever reason they're not, you know, Absolutely. but it's still your responsibility to make sure that they have that so that it cuts down on the trauma and the, you know, the, uh, things that they grow up with experiencing and feeling, and especially, you know, with our young girls and their emotions, you know, of being able to even operate and even hold a, a, a male-female relationship, not even just talking about, you know, romantically or anything like that, but just knowing how to inter interact, you know, yeah. with someone of the opposite sex, just to be friends, just to hold or a conversation. Anybody. I don't yeah. even think we have you to know? go as far as like, it doesn't go to a romantic relationship. It's all of your relationships because I mean, it, and this is something that me and my sister talked about is like, people look at us and they're like, oh yeah, y'all are social people. But it's like, no, we're really not. Like the people around us, they have like a 30 foot fence, right? Mm -hmm. Around me, between me and them, because I have to keep that distance because all I've known is to protect myself. It right. doesn't matter if you're a male, female, you know, transgender, whatever you want to be, it's just how I have to protect myself because that's what I've grown up in survival mode on. And then you get, you know, okay, somebody I like or a boyfriend or girlfriend, they can come in, you know, they can go to 15 feet. We'll see how that goes for a little bit. And then as soon as I experience something that's triggering, back to 30 feet you go. And then right. if you're lucky enough, you can maybe, maybe get to like three or four feet. 
but it getting all the way in is one of the hardest things for me um you know still with going through everything that i've gone through and kind of going through my own healing journey is you know accepting people letting them in not having so many walls and fences and you know boundaries well not not boundaries because i think boundaries is yeah. a good thing but mm-hmm. the unhealthy you know stay at a distance right. i think that's that's the thing you know with with this alienation stuff and and just toxic parenting and unhealthy relationships being shown to your kids that you're that you're teaching them because kids have to survive too it's not yeah. just you know the parents and the way they learn to survive is something that carries over into adulthood and if you don't go to therapy if you don't you know go on a self-healing journey then you're not going to realize that and you're not going to fix it and it's going to carry over to you know your everyday life and into your kids and then they're going to learn that survival method and pass it down to their kids so yeah yeah 100 100 i agree so uh one, one more thing you know i don't want to keep you too long so we go but one more thing i wanted to talk about because you're in in family law i just want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about you know the advances of of the law you know um because in in indiana uh also in illinois now i'm right out right out of side of illinois mm-hmm. um, still in the chicagoland area but you know one of the things we talk about alienation and we talk about child support and co-parenting and, and everything around that you know one of the, the distinctions that has has been made now is you know when we just talk about parenting time, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you cannot withhold your child from the other parent. You know, it's, it's against the law. Um, now, not only is it against the law, but it's against the law and it's not contingent on whether they're paying child support or not. You know, right. because that was always a thing, you know, it was like, well, he wasn't paying the child support, so I didn't let him see the child. Mm-hmm. You know, and so... Mm-hmm. Good God. Despite his circumstances. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was like, well, now it is a law, at least in Illinois. I think it's in, in Indiana now, but I know it is in Illinois. Like mm-hmm. that they, they have nothing to do with each other. For sure. I mean? so it's that way in Texas. Two different too. situations, two different laws. Yeah. You know, you are mm-hmm. to make sure that the father or mother, you know, have their parenting time. The father or mother is also supposed to pay their child support. So yep. just because they're not upholding their part of the agreement does not give you the right to also, you know, not do your part. Right. You know? and that was something I don't know what the law is. And in, in yeah, no, it's it's the same. And this is also a reason why I whenever I hear somebody say that marriage is just a piece of piece of paper, I like internally cringe and want to like it's like hearing nails on a chalkboard to me because it is absolutely not just a piece of paper. It's not just a formal process. You are contract. Think of it as like signing a lease as a co-signer with somebody for everything, for all, all you do. And in Texas, you're signing them up to have half of your money or even in some cases, more than half of your money, more than half of your retirement plan. You know, all these things that we think about as individuals, that's not how it is when you're married. It's also not that way when you have kids. So when you have kids, it's not an automatic and you're married. It's not an automatic. Okay. We know mom is mom. So she can have the kids and she can have rights when you're married. Even if that child is not yours biologically, as soon as that child's born until another uh, father has been acknowledged and adjudicated by the court, the married man is presumed the father. 
and has father rights. So when we talk about, you know, marriage versus, you know, these relationships where we have children, I tell everybody who's in a relationship that has children, you need to have a court order because it does not make any sense, in my opinion, not to. There's also ways that you can do it without going through, you know, I know a lot of people tell me, well, I don't want the government in my business or I don't want, you know, white folks in my business or whatever it may be. And I hear that. But you also need protection. And that's what the court order is for the most part. And you can come up with ways that where we can go to mediation or we can have a collaborative law agreement and we can make agreements without the judge being involved. The judge's only process is to sign the order to then make it enforceable. Um, so for me, that issue of I'm not getting my parenting time or I'm not getting visitation or he's not giving me the money I want or she's not giving me the money I want. So she's not going to see the kids. It can all be done away with with the court order that's enforceable. Then once you have that enforceable court order, as soon as that little petty stuff starts, we're going to see the judge and you can tell the judge why you're withholding this child from me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, that's it's it's critically important because otherwise you have no rights when you were just in a relationship. You have to go to the court to establish those rights. Right. So so I want to I want to go back to something you said. Um, and that is when there's a child, the in inside the marriage, when there's mm-hmm. a child, the husband mm-hmm. is automatically presumed to be the father, father. Mm-hmm. you know? So one of the things that I think about, uh, just in this culture and, and having heard the stories where, you know, a child is found out not to be you know, the, the sibling of, of the, one of the parents mm-hmm. only years down the line, you know? And so I, I, me personally, and you can tell me how, I don't know how this will work with the law, yeah. but just me personally, I think that at the birth of any child, when there's a father person, you know, uh, present, that it should be an automatic blood test. I think it should be automatically, let's find out right here, right now, what this is, you know? And um, one of the reasons why I say that, um, it's not necessarily my experience, but I have known personally people who have that experience where we're together now, and so everything is great. But then we start butting heads, and then it's like, well, you ain't the daddy anyway. Yeah. So now even though this you said this in the midst of this heated conversation that sticks with somebody right you know so now you're wondering am i really the father you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so i i just think that you know being up front with that it'll save us a lot on a lot of stuff down the line you know it'll definitely save us a lot on yeah. you know is this really my child just from that point of view but then if there is someone who is knowingly being misleading you know, for whatever benefits that it may, you know, may be beneficial for, you know, you're able to catch it early before, you know, you're 18, 19 years old and then you find out, you know what I'm saying? And so just hearing those stories and having some experience personally with people who've kind of been through some of those scenarios, just my advice or my idea, you know, I think that we could solve a lot of stuff right at at the beginning, you know. I. you can. There's there's a legal process, though, in place, at least here in Texas, to do that. You can't just 
be, oh, I think I'm the dad. I need a blood test. Like there's, or I mean, it would be dangerous law to say every child that's born has to submit to a DNA test to figure out who the father is, because then you're opening the gate for a whole lot of other things that we have to test the kids for, or, or you know, it's just, it's a dangerous concept, mm -hmm. but there is a process in how to do kind of what you're saying. And that's why I say it's important when you're not married to have court order. As soon as that baby's born and, you know, right now with everything that's going on, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of litigation about, um, you know, unborn children and how we're going to handle that. And I think, you know, even now, depending on how far along the pregnancy is and what the issues are, there are some judges in Texas that will order DNA testing while the child's still in the womb. But I haven't had a case like that, so I don't want to speak on it too much, but um, it can be done. But you can file for an acknowledgement of, or you can file for a paternity case and in that paternity case request for genetic testing because you believe that you are the father because of X, Y, Z reason you had, you know, relations with this woman on this day, which is, you know, conceivable time for the child or you resided with her for two years prior to the child being conceived, you know, all these different things. You can file for that and the judge can order a genetic test to figure out if this is your child. So there's a way to do it. You just have to follow the steps. And I think that's where a lot of people miss out um, because they're trying to avoid people being in their business or they don't want to go to court because they think they're going to have to pay child support or all these other things. And I try to instill people so much like if you're not married, you have to do that in order to establish your rights, because otherwise you're just going to be SOL. And I mean, people all the time will come up to me and say, oh, well, I call the police because you know, she's withholding the kids and the police told me it's a civil matter. Yeah, they did. Because even though in all of our family orders, and I'm sure there's plenty of family attorneys that agree with me, it is so frustrating. In our, in our orders, we say that if you violate this, you know, you're subject to going to jail or you're violating the law or all these different things that a police officer may act upon the order and enforce it. And they don't because it's a civil matter. Because unfortunately, if they were to do some things and maybe it was a false order or something else, you know, they could be liable. And that's a whole different, you know, ballgame. So their solution is we don't get involved in family stuff, hire a lawyer and, and work it out in court, which sucks because, you know, the people you want to call when you're in trouble is the police sometimes. So it's 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 dangerous to just say every child needs to be DNA tested. But you have to contact a lawyer and follow the process in order to get that done. So you can know right away. We're not, we don't have to wait 18, 19, 20 years to figure out if this is my child or wait till you've paid 18 years of child support. And mm. now you're, you're stuck to dad. Because I mean, also here in Texas, it, the law says that there's a four year statute on requesting a DNA test. So you have four years. Now that, that can be told if there's fraud or something like that. But if you wait till you, the kid's 16 and, you know, doesn't really, you think that she's not really looking like you anymore, like, you, you can't go get a DNA test at that point and say, hey, I've been paying child support all the time and I'm not even the dad. The judge is going to say, well, guess what? You're still the dad and you're still going to pay yeah. child support. Like, and it sucks, but. Yeah, because at that point, it's like you've, you've assumed this responsibility. Right. So whether well, you're the father or not, you, you've taken it. Even if you didn't assume it, knowingly you didn't dispute it either within four right. years of time so it's but if we were married we wouldn't have these issues so <laughs> you know it's just 
it resolves a lot. But you know, mm. I think I think that is a place where the law needs to to catch up a little bit is how to deal with you know kids being born out of wedlock because it's I think it's probably more common at this point than kids being born in wedlock. So yeah, yeah I'm I'm fortunate. Miss Sarah, I'm so glad to have you on. I've definitely enjoyed this conversation. I've definitely enjoyed uh, hearing your story. I, I want you to have the last word, you know, to leave us with something, word of wisdom, word of advice, whatever uh, you decide, and definitely give us your um, social media handle so those yeah. of us who haven't uh, caught up with the journey can still be able to follow you and, and, and you know, see how things work out. Um, so I'll give you a, a minute to think about that. Um, to my listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for listening to uh, Deal to Hill with E-James podcast. And I told you guys I was going to tell you how you could win $100 from the podcast. And so here it is. You can win $100 from the podcast by entering our super subscriber contest. What does that mean? What do you have to do? All you have to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel, to our Facebook page, and to our podcast on Spotify. After you've done those three things, text the word WIN, W-I-N, to the number 866-326-0730. That's 866-326-0730. And that automatically, automatically enters you in our super subscriber contest where you can win $100 just for doing what you do anyway. You're listening anyway. You're watching anyway. You might as well subscribe and show us that you really support the podcast. We definitely would appreciate it. And the contest is random and is ongoing, so it never stops. So once you're in, you're in. So you always have the opportunity to win $100 just by doing what you're going to do anyway, which is listen to the podcast because we got a good podcast. We have amazing guests, right? All right. So again, $100 you can win just by entering our super subscriber contest. So that being said, let me get this out of the way. I don't want to move. <laughs> Miss Sarah, again, thank you so very much uh, for being on. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate you taking out the time to share your story. Uh, I'm definitely going to be following. Um, definitely going to be waiting to see when this book is coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to keep my ear to the street on that one. But right. uh, again, thank you so very much for being on. I'll let you have the last word. The floor is yours. I appreciate it. I just want to say thank you for having me as well. I think, you know, I didn't really start this with the idea of, you know, sharing it too much or that people would even like it. So, I, you know, it's good to know that people like it and, and are benefiting from, you know, me sharing my story. So I appreciate that. Um my social media handle, I'll start with this, is underscore finding him. That's on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow me on both of their, uh, both of those platforms. Um, but I, I would say that my piece of advice and the biggest thing that I, I've learned on this journey is that forgiveness is freedom. Um, I've, you know, been through a lot. I, if I, I, maybe one day I'll get into the facts, but right now I'm not going to, but it, it's, it's a lot. And, you know, it's, it was so easy for me to hold on to the baggage and the anger and carry that around with me. But then I just looked in the mirror and I didn't like who I was becoming. And, you know, I don't know if, if you listen to a lot of music, but the bag lady song started coming into my head, you know, and I encourage people to listen to it. And it's not talking about actual luggage. It's talking about carrying around this anger and your feelings that you're not letting go. And, you know, forgiveness isn't for the other person is for you so you can move on. So 
that's that's my piece of advice is forgiveness is freedom. All right, all right. And we can't say it no better than that. Um, I definitely agree with you. Just going to throw this in. I, I'm also uh, a part of an organization where we do um, a forgiveness workshop. Uh, we do it. We just started doing uh, doing them quarterly. So four times out of the year, we have a forgiveness workshop in which we talk about forgiveness, what it is, what it's not, what it means to forgive, you know, others, yourself, you know, and things like that. And so definitely forgiveness is a, a big thing. Um, you guys can follow me. You know, I think I've uh, put the information in the in the description. And uh, if anything else, just go to uh, Eventbrite, look up uh, forgiveness uh, mission or for, yeah, forgiveness mission. I think it is. And if you go to Facebook and look under forgiveness mission, which is what's called look up in the group forgiveness mission, and you will be able to see it and see when we're doing our next uh, forgiveness workshops and things like that. So again, Miss Sarah, thank you so very much for being on. Uh, to all my listeners, again, this is the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. I'm your host, Ernest James, and our mission is to help people to deal, to heal, and fulfill, to deal with your problems, to heal from the pain, and to fulfill your purpose. And so until next time, we'll see you guys next week. Be blessed. Bye, guys. Hey, guys. I know you're enjoying the podcast. However, don't forget to join our text line at 866 326 0730. That's 866-326-0730. In order to receive text messages with new events and things that is going on and new episodes as they release. All right. See you in a minute. Thanks for listening to the Deal to Heal with E. James podcast. Remember to listen, like, subscribe, and share. This episode has been brought to you by Deal to Heal Teas. Put some inspiration in your situation. Wear an inspirational tea and be inspired all day. Let's go to dealtohealtees.myshopify.com. Remember, our mission is to help you to deal, heal, and fulfill. Deal with your problem, heal from the pain, and fulfill your purpose. Thanks for listening.